My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this episode, we talk with Jessica Levinson, Head of Digital Strategy and SEO at NetSuite. We discuss our experiences during COVID-19 and how we've all been coping. And then we dive into Jessica's background as a mom, Bostonian sports fan, and our mutual love of the movie Godfather. From a career perspective, we cover Jessica's background in science and mathematics, front-end development, and the intersection of her technical skills with her passion for content. We track her career arc and deep dive into her experiences coming up as an SEO, building a team at Tech Target, her new role at NetSuite, and so much more. In the news, we talk about the White House encouraging the use of schema.org markup for COVID-19 announcements, as well as the results of an experiment from Cyrus Shepard of Moz that showed opting out of Google featured snippets led to a 12% traffic loss. And finally, we deep dive into content strategy, talk about how to build your strategy from the ground up, execute the process end to end, how to create content that deserves top ranking and more. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Jessica's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody, this is Jacob Stoops, and you are listening to episode 49 of the Page 2 podcast. Uh, that's right, we are almost at episode 50, which will be our season two finale. And I'm going to give a bit of a spoiler alert because we were talking uh, about The Godfather before we jumped on. Nobody gets killed off in the finale, so if that's what you were expecting, sorry, the guest is not, or Jeff, or me, none of us are going to get bumped off in the, uh, in the finality, or will we? Dun, dun, dun. Wait to see. Yeah, right, right. And so the, the, the male voice that you heard was Mr. Jeff Luella. Jeff, how's it going? Surviving. Maybe. Just surviving? Maybe Just getting by? <laughs> your kid, your kids pulling down the walls like mine are at this point, going stir crazy. Ah, you know they they're handling it really well. They also love the game, so that's just like they're in their their element now. But um, to the point where we're forcing them to go outside some more, like which we usually have to do anyway. But uh, we've been finding some like old or not old, but empty like mega churches around. I live in the south. We have a lot of those, so no one's at them, and their parking lots are amazing for driving around. Uh, and, and riding bikes around. So we'll go up there and, and just you know, play in their fields and do stuff like that. Uh, we have one that's about five minutes away. And um, so we make them go out there and just bust their ass for two two hours and then <laughs> get back home and then they're passed out on the couch playing on their games again. Wear them out. That's the way to do it. And um, so we are also, the other voice you heard, uh, we are also joined by a guest, uh, Jessica Levinson. Uh, head of digital strategy and SEO at NetSuite. Jessica, how's it going? 
it's going well. Uh, we're healthy, and that's probably the number one focus right now. Yeah. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, I, I am very, very very thankful and we've talked a bit like you can't you can't avoid it we've had almost been forced to to talk about the the impact of COVID-19 on all of our lives uh the last many many episodes and I'm sure that if we were going past episode 50 we are planning to take a break but if we were doing 51 52 (laughs) 53 and who knows um you know right uh in the next couple of weeks I'm sure that we would still be be talking about that but what I would say is Thankful for being healthy. Um, I'm personally used to the working from home because I do it all the time, but my wife, a teacher, not used to it. So it's been a big, uh, a, a big adaptation for, for her. Or did I say that right? I don't think that's the, even the right word. Uh, it, it's, been, <laughs> it's been a period of change for her. And I think the thing that we're all struggling with, and I don't know about you guys, but so I have three young kids. So I have three, I have a six-year-old, uh, first grader, a four-year-old preschooler, and an 11-month-old. And wow. yeah, so working full-time jobs, both of us, my wife and I, full-time homeschooling for for the yep. first grader and the preschooler, and taking care of a small baby. So like, we're kind of going crazy as it relates to that. I know everybody else might be stir-crazy, and we're that too. Like, everybody is is a little bit at each other's throats and we all have to continue to remind <laughs> each other like guys this is a this is a really weird situation and and let's just be nice yeah. to each other and try to get through it without yeah. killing each other <laughs> yes yeah we have a similar situation over here we've got three we have 14 9 and 8 um, and so the three of them are in three different schools um, also so three different setups for quote unquote homeschooling and the two of us are working, you know, full time plus. So it is, there's a lot of reminders about being nice. And uh, while we're social distancing from other people, we could probably use some social distance from each other at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we keep trying to remind everybody like, look, this is temporary. We are all healthy. Let's try to just get to the end of the week. And then, you know, while the weekends certainly don't include anything like going out. Uh, we'll go to parks and stuff and uh, and the relief of not having to like manage homeschool is uh, is definitely a positive at that point. So yeah. that we're just rolling with it. <laughs> we just got a note we just got notes from our school district that they are cutting back on some of the homeschooling homeschooling assignments because yeah. they feel the kids are in enough stress right now. So Yes, it's it's interesting because I didn't think they were giving them enough because you know mm-hmm. we didn't we like we want eight hours worth of work go <laughs> come back in eight hours but right right they're, they're yes. getting about it they were getting yeah. about it two hours now they're going to be getting about an hour so um, wow and yeah. yesterday's for my I have two nine year olds I have twins and they oh, wow. uh, both of them just had our projects so they used up half yeah. my tin foil um, so yeah. hopefully that's hard to find <laughs> nothing with toilet paper of course but it's yeah, yeah, right. Stay away from my toilet paper, buddy. Yeah, same same deal over here. Uh, every time I come down from meetings, there's some sort of art fiasco that has occurred that is everywhere. Uh, but at least I feel like at least they're they're expressing. Um, I just then need to have a quick reminder about cleanup so that it's not like another job to fit into the day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been interesting for sure. 
<laughs> yeah, it has um it has been has been crazy for sure and I think uh it's it's interesting that it's not just, it's not like some events where like only a certain segment of the population is is impacted. I I I you know, I'm trying to liken it in my lifetime to some of the big events that occurred and even I would say the biggest is 9/11. And even 9-11, as impactful as it was, didn't impact everybody uh, no. in the world. <laughs> and this impacts literally every single person in the world. I've never yeah. seen anything like it. I don't think any of us have. And I don't know that we'll ever see it yeah. uh, again. I think it, as a student of history, the last time uh, that there was a global pandemic on this scale was in the early 1900s. So in order yeah. to have seen that, you have to be over 100 years old so right not a lot of folks that have seen seen that um yeah crazy yeah, though they, though they seem to be growing it seems like now we have like a calendar over the last 20 years of things that almost became this right right <laughs> right so and yeah. I'm, it shut down the world like this right no totally yeah. agree and i think we gotta i think this is just a taste too this is just maybe shutting down for a month or so but uh i hope uh, all yeah. our governments around the world take notice and you know, have uh, everything in the um, in the bank, so to say, of just ventilators and right, right. Because it's yeah. I, I, who knows what we need, but we definitely know we need face masks and gloves and protective right. stuff. Because yeah, we just don't. I, I feel so bad for anyone who's working in the hospital right now. And it's like, here's your mask for the week. Bring it home, wash it, clean it yep. up, and it's right. Like, really, like these are supposed to be disposable, and now I got to keep it for a week because we don't have enough. Yeah, these people are yeah, heroes. Like, I don't know if yeah. you guys have seen, like, whether it be on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, like, one, they're working insane hours and in insane, <laughs> insanely dangerous conditions. Two, they're giving up their time. Um, and not only that, but in many cases, having to quarantine from their family when they go home. So they're missing yep. that, that we are all getting. And Three, um, they're witnessing, uh, in many cases, depending on where they are, a significant amount of human devastation, which has mm -hmm. to be mentally, yeah. um, mentally taxing. I can't even imagine, and I would assume that there's going to be a boom in mental health cases in the very yeah. near future. So that system is going to get overloaded. Um, and then just like the physical, the physical toll outside of being sick, like it, I don't know if you guys have seen like pictures of their faces after 18 hours of wearing masks and going mm -hmm. like, they just look like they got in a fist fight. So like, yeah. I, I feel yeah. for these, uh, these people that are, that are kind of on the front lines. And not only that, like not even just medical professionals, like I feel like going to the grocery store these days is like playing a little bit uh, oh, yeah. roulette. Like I'm thinking of the person that's ringing up my, uh, ringing up my groceries or like doing the bagging or just walking around the store, stocking the shelves. Yeah. And these people uh, aren't getting a break either. Uh, so uh, like, I, I am yeah. very thankful for those people as well. Uh, sticking in there and doing, doing a, a very important job. Yeah. I, I think to your earlier point, we need to do a better job with contingency planning. Um, my mother is one of those frontline people. She's an RN in the, ICU at a at a major hospital network here and um, it's a lot it's a lot to ask of them they're not getting they're not only get not getting you know breaks in between shifts but they're not getting breaks during their shifts and the amount of death 
that they're seeing and also seeing it happen, you know, not to drag it out, but to seeing it happen without any support for those patients because no one can go to them, including the volunteers that the hospitals usually have for that purpose to hold hands and comfort. So that's, that's really hard. And then to your point, the grocery workers, I remember um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was at the store and I was asking if it was okay if I helped bag because I was trying to help the process because the, the backlog was bad. And I said, I don't want to get you sick. So just in case I'm, you know, one of those asymptomatic carriers and, and the guy stopped and he looked at me, he goes, to be honest with you, I'm probably a huge risk to you. Um, and that's, that's, that's yeah. the truth. They're processing so many people. Uh, they don't get paid that well. Um, and they're, they're exhausted. So my hope is that we come to a better place out of this and that we do a lot better contingency planning um, across the board at the governmental level, but also within our hospitals and other organizations and that we start valuing some of these roles in society a lot better than we currently do um, yeah. because they're certainly the front line. Yeah. And, uh... I, you know, I don't want to get political, although we do have some sure. semi-political stuff in the news <laughs> later, which is going to be awesome. Uh, but maybe, we, maybe we don't fire the global pandemic team. Maybe that, maybe we yeah, get yeah. jobs back after this, right? So, yeah, that, that would be a good first step for sure. And right. maybe never do that again. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. As, as I said, with my mom being an RN, I mean, I would have I would have held that position anyway, but it's extremely personal for me right now. And um, yeah, not a happy camper, that's for sure. <laughs> My next door neighbor is an RN at a hospital here um, in ICU, and his wife is an anesthesiologist. Um, she's oh, kind wow. of out of work. Double. She's out of work, but because yep. not because she works mostly in the elective side of things. But right, he, no electives. They, yep. They luckily had a rental property that they were trying to rent out. And couldn't. So, like, I haven't seen him in a while. And I, like, when I was out front, I talked to her and she was like, oh, no, he's living at the other house because I yeah. let him back in the house because they have their grandparents yeah. living there also. So, she's oh like, oh, my he's, gosh. Yeah. It's like, oh, I mean, when I see him back at the house is when I will feel comfortable again that, like, because they're taking it super serious. Yeah. And, and if I see him back in the neighborhood, I'm like, all right, maybe it's time we can go back out. But it's, yeah, it's a sign of progress. True. Yeah, exactly. I know. My mom's. My mom's lucky in that she just has another adult in the household and, and no risks like that, no small people either. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're grateful that way. But it's hard for families because, like you said, they have to go away. So the most I've seen my mom is out of distance and through glass and my kids can't hug her, none of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And we forget what that toll is like, too. You know, mm -hmm. it's the toll on them. They can't get, for a lot of people, comfort comes through physical touch. So... Uh, there's going to be some, you know, a lot of hugging, I think, when, when we're all through this and, and able yeah. to get back near each other, for sure. Yeah, yeah. we're uh, one weird situation that we're about to deal with is, is my son is about to turn one. And oh. we usually have really big birthday parties yeah. for, for our kids. Same. And this year, it's going to be a Zoom party. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that'll be, that'll be really, interesting. We'll celebrate for him. And, and obviously he's, he's yeah. young. He's not going to remember any of this, but um, right. it'll be a little bittersweet for, for us as parents and, and for yeah. siblings, I think, to not have the entire uh, group of family and friends that we normally have in the big celebration. We've been having the yeah. car drive-by parades where everyone decorates their car. Oh, yes. 
And, yeah. you know, they surprise the kid by bringing him out to the par- their driveway and then like a hundred cars drive by honking and throwing out stuff to him. But, yeah. um, so that, that yeah. we've been through four of them so far and we have like three more plans. Wow. So it, it's cool. I mean, I, awesome. I think it's good for them. It's also as a parent, like I don't have to sit at a, a kid's birthday party for two hours, which is great. <laughs> I drive by, I'm like, happy birthday! (laughs) We're done! (laughs) Yeah, our our local police department even signed up to where you can actually message them 48 hours in advance, and they will come with police cars and trucks to your house. That's awesome. um, Which I think is amazing. Um, And yeah, you know, at the very least, on the positive side, to your point, the community is coming together for mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and that's at least heartwarming, you know? Yeah. That so is true. I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. And, and just for the record, Jeff, <laughs> at our birthday parties, we do provide the adults with lots of alcohol. So you would absolutely have fun. <laughs> okay. Thank awesome. you very much. <laughs> All right. So uh, enough Debbie Downer talk. Let's actually get into, uh, hopefully we can bring some, uh, some positivity for the rest of the episode after we've just probably depressed yeah. everybody about the world situation. Uh, so I'm going to say this probably, I'm going to give this spiel maybe two more, two more times. Uh, and then in season three, I, I will, uh, I don't know, attempt to believe that we've got enough of a base audience to where I don't necessarily have to explain it as much anymore. Um, But uh, one of the things that I've been saying is uh, we've experienced uh, a really great amount of growth. We are above and beyond our goal. I would say right now we are about 20% uh, over the goal that we had set for ourselves in terms of the number of listeners that we wanted to get to before the season, um, which is awesome. Uh, And we are incredibly thankful for those that have listened, those that have helped promote the show. Uh, that being said, we fully realize that there are lots of shows out there, out there, both in our genre and not, that get a lot more listens than we do. So we realize that there is a fair portion uh, of people that are probably listening for the first time. So for those of you listening for the first time, I uh, definitely want to explain the, the episodes, what you, what you might hear uh, and the format. So when I started the podcast um, about a year and a half ago now, gosh, we're, yeah, a year and a half ago now, um, one, I wanted to have a voice in the in the industry, but I was really, um, I'm a slow, slow, <laughs> slow writer. Uh, so blogging wasn't going to do it for me. Um, and I had kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm also a procrastinator. So I just, I don't know, I, I just knew that that wasn't going to work in terms of finding my voice within the industry, but with podcasting becoming a new medium and me also almost always having to have some sort of like creative itch scratched, whether that's tinkering on my own website or just doing something technologically. Um, If I go too long without having kind of a pet project like that, I start to like, I don't know, I start to get a, get, get an itch. And for me, this was a way to kind of scratch that itch, be creative, have a voice in the industry, not procrastinate, so on and so forth. So for me, that was good. Um, in terms of what it means to have a voice in the industry, there are already, uh, you know, there are tons of blog posts, tons of thought leaders, uh, a fair amount of podcasts that talk about the subject. And I didn't want to be another just another one of those podcasts that, or a YouTube channel or whatever that 
I pretend that I've got all of the knowledge. I know all of the secrets. I know everything. I'm the best SEO. Like that's just, that's never going to be me. There are just too many smart people in the industry to ever consider myself as having all of, all of that and all of those, all of those things. And I do feel like there is a segment of the population that kind of comes off a little bit that way. Like, Hey, if you want the answer to everything SEO related, go to them and they'll give you the comprehensive or definitive guide to SEO in 2020. <laughs> and what the listeners can't see is me doing like quote quoting. Um, I mean, like in 2008, Matt Cutts on June 18th. Right, right. And you're like, I'm not like, oh. I'm not trying to like make light of those people because you know there are a lot of real, like I said, they're really smart, smart people. And I'm not, I'm also not saying that I'm not smart. I feel like I'm pretty damn smart. But uh, at the same time, I, I, I realize, uh, I realize where my, where my place within the industry is. So when I was starting the podcast, I said, okay, what can I do that is slightly different? Um, that is different, that is different than maybe anything that's out there in the industry today. Uh, and I, and I've always been fascinated by hearing people's backstories by, um, hearing where people come from. Uh, and the reason being is because one, I didn't come from a traditional background to get into SEO. I fell into it. Uh, and there isn't a, a really strong foundation right now in traditional education. And by that, I mean, colleges, uh, where you can learn SEO and the way that it needs to be learned. Most people fall into it, get into it by accident. Some have been in the industry a, re- <coughs> excuse me, a really long time. Uh, some have been in the industry a, a short time, but even those that have been in the industry a short amount of time probably fell into it from somewhere else. So I said, if there was a way that I could tell those origin stories, for me, that would be a great value proposition. And for me, really interesting. Uh, and I think other people find that interesting as well. And then the other thing uh, that I really wanted to cover is just what it's like to be an SEO. Um, I feel like everybody's so focused on giving advice and not enough people talk about just the day-to-day grind, what it's like, how to handle clients, which is an art in and of itself, or how to handle internal teams, um, the mental stresses and challenges that, that go into it. So these conversations that we have with our guests, in addition to giving their backstory and where they came from and learning about them, we also dive into just what it's like to be an SEO day to day. And as a listener, you're kind of a fly on the wall to that conversation. So it's like two or three SEOs in a room. This is what they really talk about when the clients leave. Um, in season two, obviously we brought Jeff, Jeff on. Um, and I think Jeff has been a great, uh, addition to bring another perspective, uh, another voice. Jeff's been in the industry for a very long time and there pretty much isn't one person that I've named that Jeff doesn't know either directly or v- very closely, like two to three connections, uh, uh, from like the Kevin Bacon thing. So, uh, I think <laughs> Jeff has brought a, a, a huge network of people um, just that he's connected with over the years and a lot of expertise. Um, so we, we brought him on and needed, needed some balance and Jeff has, has helped balance, balance things out. You and needed then, that person that knew everything. Yes, yeah, I did need the person that knew everything. That's, that's the balance. <laughs> Jeff is smart and I'm dumb. Um, and, and we decided to do it, do a, a couple of different things because the first season was really like diving deep, 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 deep uh, into, into the guests. Um, and we wanted to kind of, I don't know, test out some new, uh, some new segments. So uh, this season we have a segment that is focused on the news of the day. 
which is basically Jeff reading the news, me yelling about it. Um, I can I can promise that it is probably not going to stay around only because it just there isn't often a, a lot of a lot of breaking news. There are just small stories uh, that we talk yeah. about, and sometimes we've got to get pretty meta uh, to have something to cover <laughs> week in and week out. Um, so that that is probably going away. We're going to do it today because we've got some interesting stuff uh, coming out of the White House uh, and an interesting test uh, re- regarding featured snippets, but probably the next two episodes will be the last two episodes where it's a segment. Not that we won't talk about news, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a recurring segment. Um, One segment that we added this season that probably will stay is the deep dive. Uh, And today we are going to deep dive into content strategy. Okay. So that was a lot of us talking about things not related to our guest. So I'm going to shut up now. Um, And Jessica, I want to kind of put you in the spotlight. Um, Tell, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself, who you are, uh, and how you got into SEO. Sure. So uh, we've already got my name down, Jessica, and I'm the head of uh, digital strategy and SEO, as you said, at NetSuite. I started out, uh, you know, I went to, to, to college to study computer science and mathematics, um, and I started out my career uh, really when I was an, an intern in front-end uh, development and design. So for me, um, like most people, I didn't go to school for SEO. This was also a really long time ago. Um, I've been in SEO for something like 15 years. Um, the progression for me was just the obvious need and desire to make sure that the sites that I was working on were actually findable. Um, you know, as I always boil it down, is like, what's the point of a site that nobody can see? Um, who cares what it looks like if they're not able to get there? Um, and what I found over progression of my career, um, when I was working for actually a small search agency in the in the Boston, west of Boston area, was that I more than I enjoyed doing the development and design, I really liked the strategic and business side of the house. Um, so when I started learning more and more about search and, and what made um, websites perform and be findable, I came to the point of realizing that that's really what I wanted to do. Something just clicked. And I think part of it is the fact that it's the marrying of creative and technology still, um, but that I could have, um, have a, a really big voice in, I guess, in, in strategy and planning. And uh, so here I am today um, and I've stuck with it since then and, uh, and really love it. So outside of your career progression, who are you as a, as a person? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, so I think <laughs> from my own perspective or someone else's now, <laughs> right, right. um, yeah. So, um, so I think anybody that's, that's seen me on Twitter, I, I tend to be a little mouthy. Um, I would describe myself as uh, very bleeding heart, um, progressively minded political. And um, I tend to, to see business as not completely divested from that. I see um, a need to be um, cognizant of uh, diversity of voices and inclusion in the business place. Um, 
I love sports. I'm from Boston, so I'm a born and bred Boston fan across the board. Um, don't bring up Tom Brady. I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm fine with it. Um, and, um, you know, I'm a, a, a mom. I probably kvetch a bit about my kids probably today because I put a big sign up on my door that said no. And I think it was probably about 120 seconds after that, that my daughter just walked through the door without even a knock, even though there was a big no on the door. So that <laughs> that's, that's kind of my life. Um, and remote work is, is a big passion of mine as well. I'm fully remote, um, not due to, to COVID, although the timing of me starting this new role and, and going fully remote again for the second time in my, my career um, did happen to overlap. Um, and I'm an avid uh, reader and lover of history as well, which I suppose factors well into the love of politics. Wow. So, uh, gosh, <laughs> you might be one of the few people that we've interviewed, although maybe the, I just didn't give the other people a chance to say it. It is also <laughs> a history buff. And not only that, yeah. we were talking about it before the call. You love the Godfather, which makes you like uh, yeah. one of my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. I have a I have a passion for uh first of all I have a passion for crime shows in general. Um but mm -hmm. definitely mafia movies started very early in my childhood and uh I still love them. Um and as I was I was talking about there isn't a time where uh, where the Godfather series is aired that I don't end up watching it again, uh, much to the chagrin of my household. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on AMC yeah. probably once every two two months. And, and yes. when that occurs, my wife pretty much says the same thing where she's like, not yeah. again. You've seen this movie over yeah. and over. What are you yeah. possibly going to get out of it from seeing it I'm just like, honey, yeah. uh, you knew this when you <laughs> married me. I am what I am. I'm a, I'm a creature of happiness. I don't care. <laughs> I can enjoy a movie probably more the hundredth time I've seen it. Now, some movies. Yeah. Not all. The movies that I like, yeah. I enjoy them still, even at the hundredth time that I've, that I've seen them. Because yeah. you pick up on new things or you've learned new things about them. Uh, you know, I've, I've definitely... Uh, one, studied the history of the, the mob. So I know a lot about that. But then like mob yeah. movies i've watched a lot of like behind the scenes and it's just i find it yeah. fascinating the dichotomy of especially the godfather if anybody hasn't ever heard yeah. about all of the drama and the politics between the studio yeah. and the actual mafia uh involved yeah. in filming uh and francis ford coppola god help him i'm shocked that he was evil even <laughs> able to get the movie completed given everything that uh, that he went through. So if you're interested in that stuff, definitely recommend going and uh, listening to documentaries about that stuff. Um, but all right, so let's get, let's get back into, into SEO. So we're going to be talking, I think, about a broad spectrum of stuff today. And with your background in science and mathematics and, and front-end dev, um, that actually seems a little bit like the antithesis of somebody that is also passionate about content. So I guess talk about the other side of the house uh, in, in content and kind of why you love that without deep diving. Sure. Because we're going to deep dive on that later. <laughs> sure. So, so I, let me divulge one fact about myself that might explain it a little. 
Um, so my parents met in art school and I was accepted to art school and I chose instead to go into computer science and mathematics. Um, absolutely a 50-50 right and left brain thinker. So that might explain my love of the content side of things a little bit better. Um, and, um, you know, I definitely feel passionately about uh, user experience and content as a huge piece of that. Um, and um, one of the things that I did consider when I was going into school and I was interning at, at EMC, which is now D, Dell EMC, um, was becoming a technical writer. Um, and then I realized quickly that uh, after doing some manual writing for their Symmetrics product line, that it was, uh, it was super dry and definitely not where I wanted to be. Um, and so we, here, here we are today. And, and I think my passion um, for that started pretty early even before my interest in SEO. Yeah, I find that I am um, in Jeff, I think you would say that you're probably still, you love to lean on the, on the technical, the technical side and, and uh, uh, well, Jeff, I'll let you, I'll let you speak to that. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, uh, totally. I mean, that's kind of my, my shtick. I've been doing that for a long time. Though I, I, I do like, so in the content side of things, I do like the, data and kind of more of the technical side of content where of like evaluating it, seeing what works and what's not. I, I kind of, I don't have the emotional piece that like, so if I need to connect with my, my writers or my readers, I might not have that, but I could say this performed better than this <laughs> and, and, and things like yeah. that. So that's one of the um, work when it comes to content, I really like looking at that. And I also have been enjoying playing with things like, uh, you know, natural language um, things where I get to run your content through some sort of algorithms to see kind of like you know, some of the basics. I haven't gotten really into it, but, you know, sediment, entities, things like that. So that way we can pull it out and be like, what does Google see in this content? Um, but at the same time, like I, I, I tell writers just write and, you know, let me be a nerd on the other side, but I just, I, I need to connect with my customers and I'm not the greatest at that. So that, uh, it sounds like you come from the JR school or the JR Oaks school of content, although I'm <laughs> yeah, sure he does like content analysis, but that just sounds like something that he would do. Oh yeah. He's like the Jedi level of it. And I'm like <laughs> the, uh, very, very basics of it. So, but he, he's definitely one of those people I look up to it, him and Hamlet, just like, right. Right. Uh, the ways to go through yeah, stuff yeah, there. Yeah. And they're, they're so open with all their code. I just have to learn how to read it one day. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what I, what I was getting to before, before I mildly insulted Jeff's ability to do content. Uh, was, <laughs> right, right. Was that I, uh, my, myself, I came up as a, as a designer, just like you, um, came, went to art school um, as a graphic designer nice. and kind of fell out of it. I was very immature in, in college and just fell out of college and bumped into, into SEO. Um, but I started as a WordPress designer. So I wouldn't call myself a developer, but like front end, some front end coder, uh, and so yeah. on and so on and so forth. And it is, you know, 14 years down the line, that experience has really, really tremendously helped me. But there are times when I get bucketed as just a technical SEO. And I really don't like that. Um, yeah. Because I my passion, yeah. my true passion lies on uh, the content side, competitive analysis, keyword research, like yeah. I'm 14 years in and I love doing keyword research like the first day. Um, Same. Yeah. It's uh, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe I also, I think I do 
lack in on the marketing side of things, like just thinking about things more broadly, maybe connecting uh, with customers uh, a little bit. But I don't know. I I, I think that, that we all have have room to grow. But yeah, that's I just I love diving into content strategy and watching it work. It's it's awesome. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. There isn't, you know, the forensics of it, digging in and and doing that analysis and then making the plans. Um, Just like what you just said from the first moment that I learned those things, I still have that same level of excitement. I'm I'm working on a new one right now. And um, I just, I get completely jazzed and all the technical side being able to use tools like, um, uh, you know, market muse formerly now I use phrase quite a bit um, in, in conjunction with just, you still need that human layer of understanding people and translation to your business and your objectives. Um, it's not plug and play, but still um, being able to assess and do inventories around coverage and things is, is phenomenal. So it looks like you have been at NetSuite for a fairly short amount of time. So I guess what is your what does your ramp up look like and, and what has been your experience thus far there? And then I, I guess, or maybe if you want to go back and talk about your, your previous uh, company where you were at for uh, quite a bit longer, just, I guess, talk about your experience, talk about your day-to-day, your transition to NetSuite. Um, I don't know, just take us, take us through that. Take the listeners through that. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, um, so what I'll say is, uh, let me just back up even a little bit further as I've done, uh, I've done agency side a couple of times um, for the past, I guess, probably close to eight or nine years. I've been in B2B technology in-house. I was at um, UBM after leaving the agency world. I went into UBM, which has a lot of uh, very tech focused brands and events, including dark reading information week and, and uh, Gama Sutra. Um, to, to name some, some gamer stuff that people probably recognize. Um, and um, really at that point, I was the only SEO um, across a very large organization, uh, which had some, some challenges and opportunities. And so my role there, uh, much like going into um, – uh, tech target was to be both content and technical focused. Um, the difference at UBM was I was the only person at tech target. I inherited a team and then kind of rebuilt it and, and rounded it out a little bit more based on um, our increasing involvement in content itself. Um, I think my jump at the tech target certainly um, was a huge uh, learning experience on the B2B side in terms of buyer's journey and the research that they do before making purchasing decisions and the interesting um, difference there compared to like my, my life at Catalyst with B2C brands um, is the, the point of purchase was not with us. So we were basically the holder of all things of consideration uh, immediately up into pre-transactional, including pre-transactional, and then all purchases thereafter um, involved brands like the one I'm at right now, NetSuite. And I think um, the excitement there is like coming to an understanding of how to build that kind of strategy, knowing that you are only holding 
those eyeballs and that interest until that point. And then the added uh, coolness of having a product um, at the company that is, you know, has a proprietary algorithm that is assessing the consumption of content to decide how warm and, and cold the lead is. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's a, that's an amount of knowledge and experience that is, that's pretty incredible. And then being able to then come to a brand like NetSuite that's in that same space and somebody that tech target would be talking about um, and starting to, to do that here and apply that knowledge and, help them build out, you know, a cohesive and holistic content strategy. So um, it's exciting. Uh, NetSuite um, has done some SEO, but they have not had a, a, a fully baked SEO team before. So that's a, that's not only a challenge, but a massive opportunity for me. Um, and, you know, I came on board in, in February. So this is, this is definitely really recent um, and COVID struck, shortly thereafter. I mean, it was already active, but of course we weren't doing a lot about it yet. Um, and what that has meant for content strategy and the shifting of messaging and, and making sure that you're not being ignorant and, and going out and, and talking about business growth and um, pushing those messages on social media, but also on the site when people are struggling to keep their businesses afloat because our customers are businesses. Um, but also managing to understand um, that we still have a business to run and that when we come out on the other side, we have to, we have to be already doing that. We can't wait until COVID is over to build our strategy and execute against it because at that point, everybody else is doing the same thing. Um, so right now, you know, my ramp up beyond, you know, getting to know all my team members and, and assess current workflows and figure out what we really need to be doing better is to not only respond in the moment to, to this, this horrible pandemic and what is helpful for our, our customers and people in general. So building out, like we just released um, a hub of information that includes content around entrepreneurs and our customer base um, everything from how to deal with the loan application process to news around what the government is doing, what kind of relief you can get information around basics. Like, cause if you're an entrepreneur, contingency planning and continuity, you probably considered it, but I doubt you're considering a pandemic mm -hmm. um, and what that means for supply chain management and resilience. So as you can imagine from a content perspective, those are the things that I'm digging into. But in addition to that, we have a product and our set of products and we need people buying that on the other side of this. And we need to help people understand what, what we can do for them with this product once they are on the other side. And so um, there's a lot of content strategy work going on right now for that. And I, you know, to our earlier point, it's, it's down to the nuts and bolts. Like I've got my topics, I am doing research. I'm, I'm looking at my competitors and, um, assessing what they're doing well and what they're not doing well. And I'm, you know, I'm poised to, you know, kill it and search. Um, and, and that's where we're, we're porting resources to, um, because ultimately, um, you know, we, we have to serve people as well. Yeah. I think, um, the, you gave, there were a lot of interesting potential building <laughs> blocks and tang tangents that I want to ask about based on some of what you, what you said. But I think as a, 
as someone who works in an agency, and Jeff, I know you're kind of experiencing this as well. We work across a variety of clients and industries uh, in any one day. Um, and with COVID-19 hitting, um, and I, I know we've kind of mentioned this, there are some clients that we have, and I hate to say it like this, that are in a position to take advantage just because of the nature of their business. There are other clients that we have that are uh, currently cutting back on marketing spend. So, or experiencing really, you know, difficult times, layoffs, um, really, really unfortunate stuff. Um, So I think, you know, in terms of my work and my clients, I'm working on a client that is in in a position to take advantage and, the interesting thing about our strategy is, is our strategy, what the strategy that we thought we were going to implement in January very quickly got flipped completely on its, on its head. Um, And what I thought I was going to be doing, I very quickly had to change my own personal expectations around what it means to successfully support a client in this year. Um. And it's even taken, it has taken on even literally just helping, helping them properly understand how they need to go to market with the right amount of empathy with what their clients mm-hmm. are, are not what their, what their customers are, are going through while still balancing out the need to, um, to, to, to do business and to drive more, more business in, in an ethical way. Um, and, and instead of, for me, leading SEO strategy, honestly, like I've been playing the role of proactively helping them just fill like whatever gaps, because like literally their organization went from um, working on a strategy in January and really trying to implement that to hair on fire. And there's just yeah. fires to be put out everywhere over the, for the last two months. And my job has changed from leading strategy to let me just help you put out fires. Let me help you wherever you need help. Let me just be a good partner. And we'll talk about whatever strategy we want to get out of the end of this uh, when we get through through this. But for now, just let me support you. Let's be, let's be uh, human about it. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, Hey, if I'm struggling or like, Hey, if my kids have to sit in on a meeting while we talk strategy, like, I hope you understand. And I under, by the way, I understand. And uh, you know, if you have to do the same thing, like we're all in this uh, together, kind of like, that's the best way I feel like you can react. uh, When you're just empathy, empathy for your clients, empathy for their customers, uh, making sure that that's coming through and messaging. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot more that I can go into, but I think we're all, kind of experience. That's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think empathy, you know, it's, it's people first, right? So empathy is at the top and um, that's definitely been a a focus for us is just recognizing that, you know, these are, first of all, like not to be blunt, but we don't have a business if other businesses don't survive. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's, absolutely empathy and it's recognizing that that is part of your satisfaction right is is helping and there are partners they may be our customers but it's really a partnership and i think being able to help make those connections and connect people that either have resources that other people need or 
help them, like I said, get get better feedback because some of the sites are pretty dire from the government in terms of how do they apply for these things? What have been the real world experiences that other people we've talked to have had so that we can help set expectations? And then recognizing that, um, you know, these these struggles are very real now, but they these businesses too, not just us, also do have to plan for the future. And so when they come out on the other side, um, you know, what are they going to need from us and, and what are we doing to make sure they get that? So last question before we move to the news. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, with your experience building a team, one, like, what is that like? What challenges does that bring? But then now you're, you've built a team in the past in a non-pandemic. How, how is that challenge that it being accelerated, given that you're remote and you're trying to do it during a pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely very different. So I think um, in terms of hiring um, look, it's hard. It is hard to find somebody that, that fits all of the, the requirements for roles. Um, my, my personal perspective based on that, cause I know, like I said before, I didn't go to school for SEO. That's not, that's not, I had no expectation that this is what I was going to do with my life. I love it, but it's not what I, what I expected. Nobody ever does that, have that straight line except for maybe like doctors. Right. Um, and so my, you know, my building of a team is, is actually more based on the quality of the individual often than their experience. Because if I can't, if I can't find somebody that's curious and has a good personality, they're going to blow up our environment and our culture. Um, you know, I've interviewed people that had incredible chops, but I just knew based on how they were interacting with me that if I brought them into the team, it was going south fast. So the first thing that I look for is, is aptitude, willingness, and curiosity. Um, and, you know, um, in a general times without pandem <laughs> pandemic uh, issues going on, um, you know, that, that still can be a struggle, but it's doable. You can teach anybody anything that's willing to learn and, and again, has that curiosity. And that's primarily with the new recruits. That's how we built it. And, and frankly, um, when we had team members who weren't, um, weren't growing and didn't want to grow, it, it does make it difficult. Um, so those, those are the areas that I would look first um, and, then, and then provide a lot of knowledge sharing and, and experience to get people up to speed. Um, in terms of pandemic, you know, the pandemic now, like we've got a real small shop right now and my closest team members are, we've got a tech SEO on board who, who predates me at the company. Uh, she's incredible. Um, if she's listening, hi Trish. Um, and, um, you know, we are, we're attached at the hip and then I'm trying to pull her more into the content strategy. Cause my perspective is, even if you don't do content every day, you cannot possibly be the best SEO if you don't understand why the different facets are important. I don't need you to do it every day, but I need you to understand why. Um, because you're going to be able to connect with people who create it and you're going to be able to understand its importance in your role. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, we've got a huge content team and, and contractors as well, external to the company. And, um, again, the best thing about where I'm at right now is the content creators, all they want to do is know more. They want to know what can I do to make this content perform and they're listening. It's not just they're asking, they're listening and we're working 
together. Again, it comes back to partnership and empathy with each other, right? Because they understand what my responsibility is and I understand theirs and I understand it can be hard to take input from somebody who isn't a writer and isn't doing that crafting. Um, but ultimately what we're recognizing together is that we have the same end goal as a company and, um, you know, that's making it a lot easier and I'm, I'm super grateful for the team that we have. Most underrated skill in SEO. Said it before, uh, empathy. That's it. Most yep. underrated skill. Agreed. Empathy, the ability to have have real feelings and an, and an understanding of what other people might be going through or how they might be perceiving you. Um, if you're running mm-hmm. in blockers, which we often do from yeah. a communication standpoint, it Not really sure. helps you put yourself in the shoes of the other person and understand why they might be resisting or what. Not only that, or if there's a resistance, it may not be there, uh, them uh, leading the charge on that resistance. They're, especially if it's like a developer, they may have 18 other yeah. priorities that are more important than SEO yeah. or that are being perceived as, as more important. So having empathy with that um, can be critical to developing the long-term relationship that you need to eventually get stuff done. Absolutely. And and sometimes it's easy to forget that because again, we're all under the gun and everybody's thinking, right. well, this is my priority. Why won't you do what I want you to do? And it's, I look, I've done it myself. It's easy to lose sight. Um, but I think when you have a human first culture, it's a lot easier to get through that slogging together. And to yeah. your point, if the developer's drowning in a Jira queue, you can, you can take a step back and go, okay, this person needs a breather. Um, and then let's figure out how what I'm asking for um, can fit into that and maybe is a benefit somewhere along the line because it's actually going to save them time if we talk about it now instead of later. Yeah, I, you know, and, and it is, I, I will admit, it's easy to fall into the, uh, the old familiar, God damn it, why doesn't anybody else understand? Why is an <laughs> SEO the most important thing? Yes. And a ton of money, why don't they get it? Or why can't they just understand? Yeah what I'm trying to, to, to get done. Why can't they prioritize my thing first? Because SEO is so important. Very easy yeah. to fall in. And it's a very comfortable place too, because SEOs, I don't know what your experience has been, but SEOs like to bitch about things as much as, as much as any other profession, if not more. Uh, and not only that, I think there's Absolutely. a certain camaraderie that's built when you can complain about something. So SEOs are very good at, good at that. Yeah. We tear down websites all day. So of course we're good at bitching and complaining about things. Yeah. I, you haven't gone to art school. I liken it to the, it's one of the reasons why I didn't want to go actually, besides not wanting to struggle um, with art is the critique factor, right? And yes, we're put in the position of, of doing the critique all the time, which not only can make it easy to slip into that, but it also uh, sets a perception of us that can be pretty negative, even when we're not trying to be. Um, and we're thinking, we're just helping you. And everybody else is thinking, no, you're just telling me what I'm doing wrong all the time. Um, and so, yeah, yeah it gets and hard. <laughs> especially on the design side of things where uh, I, I did a little web design and it's like you're being critiqued by people who never went to design or art school. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they're like um, – you know, hey, we don't want this or this and this. And it's like, we want it to be bright orange and not match anything else. And you're like, All right, yes. um, why'd you hire the expert if you knew what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the biggest lessons I learned in that when I was in the agency world is never, 
never put up anything in front of them that you don't want to actually see again. Because inevitably they always pick the worst out of the, <laughs> out of the selection. Yeah, yep. True. Absolutely. So true. <laughs> okay. So let's move on and let's move into the news. We've got two news uh, news stories. So Jeff, I'll let you kind yeah. of take it. Sure. So the first one um, is where we kind of hinted to earlier about semi-political, but not in a bad way. Um, the White House um, wants everyone to use schema.org for their COVID-19 announcements, which is um, one I find amazing. Not that like people are pushing this because as SEOs, we know this, but that the actual White House actually knows about this or people at that level know about schema.org. And there's probably someone like Google as a, a like, um, helping them out with, with some of this there and, yeah. and getting a push there because it is ultra important when you type something into Google, like if your favorite restaurant or you're trying to find out information about something local or, or just about COVID um, having a special announcement or something like that. Um, Google's having a tough time figuring that all out because again, everything has been so fast and um, there's probably a lot of systems out there that, you know, we're, I'm still trying to get organization schema on people's sites, let alone some of this. Right. So to me, right. I'm like using, use this as like, Hey, let's get a, you know, let's push some of this out there. None of though none of my clients currently need like these special announcement um, schema though. Some of, they all have their special announcement right now. Like, uh, like every company in the world has a COVID announcement on their right. page. Um, which is which is great because you, you want to know um, something, but some people I, like, I don't think it, it's business as usual for some companies, but um, any local right. shop or stuff, the people that really need the help with that, it's good that they're pushing it out there. Um, but it, it came down to uh, they announced that they really want you to use the special announcement and the event attendance mode. Um, what do they call uh, schema structures there? But uh, it's come all the way down from, which I didn't even know we had a federal chief information officer. Makes sense. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. every company probably has a chief information officer. Um, but he's encouraging the private sector, state and local governments uh, to do this. And, and you know, so stuff like Section 508, how it's pushed through the government, but not yeah. through um, to, to normal kind of corporate businesses. Um, this is actually something that they're going to push. And I think we might actually see um, some maybe federal mandates on this. Um, hopefully this is not, or hopefully this is our last pandemic in my lifetime. <laughs> um, but, it, yeah. but having like this kind of everybody's trying to like, as we mentioned earlier, like people are trying to find masks and things like that. But at the same time, the technology people are trying to figure out their technology holes that they have. And, and scheme has really been plugging that up. Google, Google's been on fire with just updating the public on how to handle this. And it's been great. And it's reached the White yeah, House. Absolutely. Yeah, I was oh. gonna say, like yeah. before we were talking we were talking off uh, off air about this and I'm just imagining all of the the potential uh, Trumpisms, uh, and I'm not I'm not going to attempt to do a Trump impression, but I can just imagine like he has certain uh, things that he's that, that are like he's well known for saying like uh, yeah. like our, our our schema is huge. It's going to be the best schema. It's better than everybody else's. It's great. We've got a lot of great people working on it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, better than China. Our schema is better than China. Uh, by the way. Maybe America, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't even imagine. There are probably a bunch more, but I'm all I'm thinking is just reading that story is is Trump speaking about schema markup, and um, I just find it 
uh, if you can find any humor in it, I find it funny that two weeks in a row, uh, SEO has made uh, what I'll just call pop culture between this and Tiger yeah. King. So uh, SEO, yeah. man, it's yeah. dream, right? Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, we hit the big time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, uh, well, so I asked for the COVID schema. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was just saying I asked for the COVID schema a couple of weeks ago when we started building out our, our hubs. So now, you know, I'm going to go back and be like, look, the White House said, so now I'm going to push hard on <laughs> revert back to my, uh, my SEO ways. <laughs> right. Get That's it fine. through. So actually <laughs> kind of going back to the previous segment, but has something to do with the schema is like, so NetSuite has a bunch of, you know, e-commerce type of tools and, and an e-commerce system, right? CRM systems, things like that. Yeah. Uh, how much um, do they integrate with things like schema currently, or is it more like a empty boxy push into the header um, or, or something like oh, that? Oh, like, sure. So you mean the platform itself? The platform itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, um, I don't believe that we have anything with integration with schema yeah. right now. Um, I'm sure that there are potentially like add-ons that do that kind of thing, but I have no awareness of that. In fact, we are literally just working on schema now with regard to our own site. So um, you can imagine that <laughs> that probably yeah. hasn't been prioritized on the platform. Um, and really like, the, the platform is more on the inventory, um, you know, inventory and, and finance and accounting um, side of things as well, um, integrating into, into other, other features. Yeah. No, I, I, usually when you hear like companies like Oracle or IBM or Salesforce, yeah. Yeah. It's, this is the stuff that I – I know a few SEOs in, inside those businesses and, and that's kind of like their battle, right? Yeah. It's like trying to figure that stuff out. And yeah. um, it's, it's where kind of those small, you know, players jump in and, and do a good job. But, um, yeah. but when you get to a large scale business, no one's using WooCommerce, you know, it's, it's yeah, usually that. Right. You know, exactly. <laughs> small guys. So I always, I used to work for a, a company called GSI commerce and we had a huge e-commerce business. Yeah. And um, that was I kind of our role was just to like yell at the, you know, the platform team, like we need canonicals. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes something came out, but yeah. it was They're like, what's a canonical? Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. And, it, and we actually, that was part of my job. There was an evangelist inside of the company and it was, it was fun teaching them all that That's stuff, awesome. but it was really hard to get a platform change, especially theirs was tied into every, like he changed it on one, it changed it on everybody's. And that was kind of a scary moment when a hundred websites would change. And if you did it wrong, you're taking down companies, which have taken down themselves, like Toys R Us and, and stuff yeah. like that. They, they were like our big. We had like a whole department that focused on Toys R Us because they were on our platform, and and um, usually we ran any updates by them first. If they were on board, then the, the platform team's like, okay, we can, you know, Ace Hardware can can get this, but it's, but Toys R Us had all the money. Um, sure. so, yeah. It, I was just gonna go on the oh, second yeah, piece. Yeah. Sure. So the second piece of the news here is that um, opting out of Google's feature snippets led to a 12% loss in traffic. And this was yeah. um, an article by Cyrus Shepard, and um, I think he teamed up with SearchPilot to do some A-B yeah. testings where they no snippeted 
their their content um, on on a certain amount of it and ran tests on it, and they saw that their traffic has uh, lost twelve percent of the traffic just by not going in. And I think this is going to be different for many different sites out there, but Moz is one of those companies that has a lot of information, a lot of like uh, what is SEO type of content, which would get yeah. feature snippets. So um, I look at them as the extreme case, but that is a good number to know because nobody wants to lose any percentage. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm glad they did this experiment, but at the same time, there was no way I was going to no snippet anything that I had for any of my clients. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, if I was that number one spot, like I want to be that number one spot. So. Right. Yeah, no, I had the, the same same sort of position, and I remember um, the uproar when that um, diversification move happened and there was a lot of hubbub on Twitter where people were like, that's it, I'm no snippeting, I'm no snippeting. And I was still at Tech Target at that point. I'm thinking, no way. Like we, we at Tech Target and even at, at NetSuite have a ton of top of funnel content, informational content, which is very feature snippet uh, happy, right? And uh, I'm glad that the gut reaction to that was correct um, because that 12% is a huge, is a huge drop. If you've got a significant amount of traffic, right. That is uh, that's, that's a lot to lose on the table. And so I think um, the, the, the news there is that we should definitely continue to take advantage of that. Agreed. And one thing that he brought up was that when they removed the test, I think he said something like um, half of them came back. So they, they lost. Wow. So um, so that, that's yeah. what I was trying to dig through real quick, but it was one of those where, yeah, after ending the test, we failed to win back a portion of the, the snippets that we previously ranked for. So wow. you do that, you might be gone forever. So that's one of those where we want to yeah. make sure that. Yeah, it seems like the the nuclear option. So, like, on one hand, I, I think there's a there's a pro and a con here. On one hand, I commend. Uh, Moz uh, and other companies that do a lot of testing. I commend that thought process and I wish that we were all more like that where we tested the many, many hypotheses that pop into our brain, hypotheses that pop into our brain each day. Like that would be a great test that we never act upon because I know for myself, there are probably 10 times a day where I, where I say to myself, like, wow, that would be really cool to test and get the results back on so that I could use that at some point in the future. The con of that is like, I'm scratching my head going, all right, Moz is in, is in a now very competitive industry where they're competing against reps and they're losing. Why on earth would anybody green light a test where the yeah. expectation was that you're probably going to lose traffic. Yeah. And not only right. that, congratulations, a lot of that ain't coming back, uh, which is very concerning. So like, I'm like, what the, yeah. why yeah. when you're already, when you already have this much competition and I'm sure Cyrus probably could explain it. I'm sure he had very valid reasons, but also you're in the middle of a damn pandemic. Like, Test the good stuff, not the not the stuff where you know it's probably going to give you like a bad bad result. Like, just doesn't make. I commend them for testing, but Jesus yeah. test something else. Test something that's I, not going to yeah. cut. Maybe business. maybe they went through articles that were like their least favorites. Like, I'm sure they didn't do it to the yeah. SEO yeah. one guy. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, right, obviously. yeah. Um, the, the only way that I can imagine that a no snippet tag might be useful is if there are legitimate snippets that you don't want to show 
because it's like bad press, bad PR, like something that yeah. is embarrassing for your company or your brand. Or I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure that there are scenarios where it is appropriate. I've not yet seen any, but I'm sure that they exist. Um, I can't imagine why you would want to run that test yeah. right now, but I'm sure that there's an explanation that I'm just not realizing. Anyways. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I, I saw the, I saw the piece show up in my feed this morning. Uh, Will, Will had actually from search pilot had posted it on LinkedIn. I didn't see what the time frame was. So I wasn't sure if it was like a pre pre COVID test. It could have been. Yeah, um, and, 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 and they just are finally coming to the surface now with the announcement. But I, I, I think you're right. I think if I recall correctly during the buzz that there was a supposition that you don't get traffic from they you don't get enough traffic from the snippet. It's, it's a zero click situation. If you're going to get the click, it was off the organic result. So I'm assuming that was the hypothesis when they went into this, right? Um, and they, you know, clearly were wrong on some level. But um, yeah, it, it's curious not to not to play the devil's advocate, but I, my assumption is, um, you know, it keeps them lively, and 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 also the the press and backlinks and references yeah. and social social vehicles that they're getting out of this is is pretty big. Because look at we're talking about it right now, exactly. but uh, yeah. Damn it. Why didn't we think of that? Jesus. You're right. They are keeping things spicy over there. Good for them. They are. Congratulations. Even in a pandemic. You lost your traffic, but you are getting a lot of PR. If I ran this test yeah. on my side, it would be like two two visits would have been like 80%. So it's. Right, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's funny. All right, Jeff. Let's. Uh, well, I'll. I guess I'll. I'll. I'll lead the the uh, the transition into the deep dive section. So, as I mentioned earlier, um, we're going to dive into content strategy. So, um, as I've said before, this is near and dear to my heart, and um, I know that I've <laughs> I, I've shared a lot of thoughts on content strategy in in the past, but I'm actually going to let um, I think I want to let you guys you guys lead off. So, when you're thinking, and I'll I'll direct this at Jessica, when you're thinking about a content strategy when you're starting out. Um, I don't know where where do you where do you begin where do you where do you go first how do you start building it <laughs> yeah so um, certainly there's usually some kind of discussion uh, or um, in my travels because I'm I'm monitoring competitors and monitoring social media as we all are I'll notice something that then causes a conversation internally um, and topics or perspectives and business objectives will be kind of, you know, drawn out of that. And at that point, typically what happens in 99% of the cases, I'll have to do some translation between what the business side of the house is talking about and how, how somebody might search for that or try to solve for that. Um, and so I'll do some, some cursory, um, cursory investigation with, um, with multiple tools, whether it's SEMrush, Keyword Tool, IO, plugins, et cetera. I have a, I have a arsenal that I like to use for all different kinds of reasons. Um, and I'll start to think about based on our conversation, I'll start to like map out typically my head first and then, you know, on paper, digitally, 
um, what that looks like, take an inventory of what we have, if we have anything, because um, it, it, it's conceivable that we don't. Um, most cases we'll have something. Um, and start to think about how I can fill the gaps in and what that's going to require in terms of, of writing um, or updating of existing content. Um, and because my brain works in a full content strategy, I'm also going to think about the social aspects. Um, I was at Tech Target, I own the social team. I don't own it here, but I work closely with them. Um, and I'm going to start to think about the, the pieces of content I need at every stage of the journey, which the journey is not a straight line, so they're going to come back and forth. So I'm going to try to think about representation across that. I'm going to think about pieces that don't have a search value, but might have a, or don't have as big of a search play, if you will, but have a social play. Um, what those look like. I'm still obviously going to optimize them in hopes that we get some, some traffic there, but there's always going to be pieces that perform well organically, but might be a little bit dry for social media. Um, I'm going to have to assess, assess the resources that it's going to take and a timeline. Um, I'm going to use tools like Market Muse and Phrase to um, to analyze content that exists and also build briefs for the stuff that doesn't exist. I'm going to marry that with the other tools and the research that I get out of that. I'm definitely going to do forensics and reverse engineer the stuff that I see ranking currently um, and figure out what they're doing well, what the, what the repetitive themes are across the ranking content, and then what we can provide additionally there. Um, that they're not doing um, and improve that so that we have the ability to rank. I'm going to look for, um, you know, ways to package that content. I do, um, I do see value and I've, I've proven out in many instances that packaging, whether you call it hub and spoke or, or pillar and cluster modeling works really well for us in terms of um, building topical authority and, and rankings. Um, so, for instance, right now I'm doing that. Um, and then, you know, uh, meeting with the stakeholders and, and figuring out with the SMEs, either internal or external, what I've missed. Because I'm an SEO, um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to 100% get everything. If, for instance, if I'm talking about accounting management, I'm not going to hit it all. Um, even with all the research that I do, I'm pretty comprehensive. I'm going to miss things. I'm not going to have all the nuances or necessarily nail all of the, the uh, role or persona level stuff. So I'm going to work with my team to make sure that I can uh, get all those, those holes filled. And then from that point, that's when you really start executing on the briefs assignments and, and staggering that out in whatever makes sense with regard to the resources and timeline that you have. Um, and then there is a, a, I'm super methodical about, um, again, the linking portion of that and making sure that everything's connected well. Um, I also like as of last night, because I was just discussing a particular package we're about to, about to embark on is like, um, I'm not, I'm not the demand gen team, but I have to think like I work with them. So I am already starting to think about, okay, what are the conversion vehicles that we can integrate into our content? Um, and so are we going to take a portion of it and PDF it and make it into a guide that somebody could download? Because when you're doing research on, you know, enterprise platforms, that's something that people actually do respond to. 
Um, are there templates, you know, that we can be giving away that help people in this area? What is it? And those are going to be things that I'm going to document in my strategy documents um, and have conversations with those players and say, okay, like I need creative resources for this. Does this sound good? What does the messaging need to look like? Cause that's not my role. Although I'll definitely, you know, have perspectives to share there as an SEO, the people that are in charge of corporate messaging need to jump in and, and take part in that. Um, you know, that's a lot of words. I don't know if I, <laughs> if I answer that adequately. <laughs> no, that was, that was excellent. Um, there were a lot of there are a lot of important parts uh, and components to the process that you that you discussed. I think one of the biggest ones, and I'm working on a, a content strategy uh, uh, right now as well, where one of the things that we're trying to balance is that we have a lot of subject matter experts and there is clearly a need to infuse SEO into the process. However, the way mm-hmm. that the process is being perceived now is a little bit backwards from the way that it needs to be. The process now is subject matter expert writes whatever piece of content that comes into their brain, which is usually yes. brilliant, but doesn't necessarily yes. align to search volume. They pass it along yes. to a copywriter, copywriter, uh, if they if they haven't written it themselves, the copywriter writes it. If they've written it themselves, the copywriter wordsmiths it. And then they send it to me or somebody else and say, all right, optimize this. And yeah. I usually say, all right, doesn't work that way. And let me explain, let me explain why it doesn't work that way, because I love this article and it is it is excellent from a subject matter expertise standpoint. But guess what? Nobody's searching for this. And then flip that on its head and you show them, here are all of the things that people are searching for. The conversation becomes, well, I don't want to talk about any of that because that's too mainstream or like our customers are more mature than than that. They don't, I don't believe that they search for that. I don't hear that as much, but sometimes I've heard that. Um, Yeah. I had that yesterday. Right, right, right. So like, I guess, how do you transition people into the process that they're used to, which is the process that I first described, into the process that involves doing a lot of research up front, aligning on a vision for uh, uh, an individual piece of content, as well as the entire information architecture of the website and your and your content hubs and little spokes that come out from there and kind of building it all uh, and making sure that before a subject matter expert or or a content writer puts pen to paper they have all of the information that they need in order to produce a piece of content that is worthy of ranking well i always say and this is a stupid thing to focus on but i always say like look if we've done our research you won't have to, if we've done our research the correct way, you won't have to sprinkle keywords in at the end. They'll just be baked in because yeah. you're writing about yeah. what you write about. And guess, guess yeah. what? Uh, the other thing I run into a lot is people, for whatever reason, setting an arbitrary word limit and, and yeah. working with content providers to produce 18 400 word articles per month. And, and my, my immediate thought process is why? Why 18? Why not more? Why not less? Right. 
Uh, right. What's the reason for that for that number? Like, why is there a set number? Uh, like, that doesn't yeah. ever make sense to me. And two, why 400 words? What if all of the pieces yeah. of content that are ranking well are 2,000? Is your little 400 yeah. word, no matter you know, piece yeah. of content, no matter how good it is, really going to compete against 10, 2,000 word pieces of content? And not that word count mm-hmm. is the end all to be all, but it just it is just one no. of the many indicators along the way okay. of the depth that you need to go into. So like I those are all the questions that I pose. So I'm just wondering yeah. from your perspective, how do you take people from the old process to the correct process? Sure. So um it's it's hard. Um I will say that um when I got on board at Tech Target everything was retroactive. So everything was assigned out, was written and edited. And then somebody said, what keyword do we use? And, you know, trying to explain to people that it's a lot less work to inform the process at the very beginning is is not always well received. I can speak to the current situation where, you know, we've got a, we've got a host of writers. Some of our writers came from, from shops that are a little more astute about this, including like HuffPost and E-Online. So, so I lucked out in that end, but um, I think sometimes walking people through what we do and why is one of the best ways to get them to understand. Like you said, the example you said with the arbitrary number, and we had that as well in, in past positions where it was like, okay, we're going to create X number x hundred number of articles every month and it's like well why and how are you going to make the decision what's most important and what are your business objectives and do they change over time so really does having a solid quota and a quota that isn't flexible make sense um so i think it becomes an education and also testing out a model where you show okay you know what this month you're you are geared to write 30 pieces. Give me 15 of those pieces. I am going to give you briefs. I'm going to give you the information. You're going to write them. And then we're going to look at them 30 days, 45 days, 90 days, whatever, after the fact, and compare their performance to the stuff that you normally write. That is one of the methodologies. I think the other is really around teaching. So I can speak to right now, uh, the person that I roll up into is, is amazing and someone I worked with a couple jobs ago and he said, look guys, we've got finite resources here. So here's the thing, Jessica's not going to look at your content unless you, you integrated her from the, start, from the start. So she's not going to help you retroactively fit uh, keywords in or review your stuff unless you spoke to her from the beginning, got a brief and started writing this. And then the third piece on the education thing is empowerment. I cannot look at everything <laughs> that gets produced. And even after I build out my team and, and, and grow our, our uh, resources here, we cannot be looking at everything. So then it's about giving people tools and information so that they are doing exactly like that. Like I have two people on my team and I said, look, um, it's not two people in total, but these two people in, in, in specific and they wanted to know. They said, can you walk me through what you do to pull your briefs together? I said, sure, why not? Because if I do that, they're going to do a better job, which means we all hit our goals. We get better traffic, better conversions. And so I walked them through the forensics, all right? 
this is what I do. I use phrase for this step, but then I assess it and look at, okay, this step is bogus. I don't want to include this. I pull open the SERP. I look at all the content that's ranking and I say, okay, the commonalities between these things are X, Y, and Z. Also, what's, what's missing? Guess what? People also ask questions, are these four things? Three of them make sense. This other one doesn't. Guess what? We're going to answer these three in our content. And and just walk them through it, and they have aha moments. And provided it's, again, somebody who's curious, somebody who's competitive, that's an important piece to it, and somebody who cares about the business objectives, you're going to win in that situation, and they're going to start to do that naturally as part of their process. And then also on my end, recognizing that not all of the content will have the same goal and so I will just understand and expect to see some content that comes out for different reasons, whether they're sales conversations or whatever. And those are not going to have briefs. They're not going to have a lot of organic traction, but they're serving some other purpose and that's okay. Yeah. Underrated aspect of, I'll just, I hate saying it this way. SEO content strategy is actually getting out of your keyword research tools and going and looking at the search results. Yeah, because yeah. like you have to, you have to think when you take out all of the, the the linking metrics and all of that that noise, Google and other search engines are rewarding those particular pieces of content for a reason. If you can figure out yeah. what that reason is and use that as your baseline, and then figure out what you as a brand and a business can do to meet that as the floor, and then put your own spin yeah. upon it or go above and beyond yeah. to make your piece of content more worthy of ranking. That's where you need yeah. to go because they're, they're giving you indirectly. If you've got, if you have the commitment and passion to go and figure it out, Google is kind of giving you the answers to the test. It's saying, Hey, right. this, this website is the best suited for this particular query or these five websites. Uh, and all you need to do, and, and it's not to say that you can overcome big brands with, a, with enormous link profiles, yeah. right? That's, that's another discussion. But right. if you just break it down to, to its basics, you get an understanding of what they're doing, reverse engineer it. And I'm not saying copy, but produce your own no. of that piece of content for that topic that is better answering the query, you create a con- cre- the goal is to create a content that is worthy of being number one, right? That's the goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the, you know, one of the added struggles, and I don't know about you guys, but the, the content creators that I'm, that I'm working with 90% of the time are, are people who've gone to school for journalism and they're hearing all through school and through being, uh, through working out actual media brands, like you got to create something different. And in, print when things are sitting on a shelf, it's far easier to make that work. But the what we don't want is copying. We don't want mimicking of what's out there. We want to recognize, again, those commonalities and themes and styles of titles and angles that are working and then make it our own. And so that that's the kind of conversation we have all the time. It's like, don't worry. I'm not asking you to plagiarize. That's not what I want. I don't want you to take this and mirror it. I want you to learn from what's happening here. Be comprehensive. Cobble that all together. Add something of value beyond that that makes us different from everybody else and will garner the clicks. And guess what? It doesn't work. We're going to tweak it and keep tweaking it until we get what we need. And I'm going to ask one last question before I let Jeff jump in because I know he has questions. 
what do you do when they say that process sounds great and I'm sure it will drive a lot of clicks, but it takes too long. It's, it, it takes more time than I have, or it requires more words. I, especially when you're working with like content contractors who are used to working on X number of pieces at X word count. Right. And they say, well, that, if that's going to take 2000 words, uh, that's like four of the articles that I'm used to writing. Like, what do you, how do you combat that mindset? Sure. So I've had certainly had discussions where it's come down to, okay, then you're going to write less. Um, and by less, I mean less individual pieces, more word count, um, because we can see that the return on this or the expected return on this will actually be in excess of what you'll deliver with those 10 individual pieces versus these four. Um, so we have those kind of conversations. And again, back to the test, I'm going to ask them, you know what, for the next month or two, let's test it and do half and half. You write a couple of your 400 piece pieces and you let me know how they, you know, how they perform and not in a combative way, but like, let's look at some data, like gut, I know what's going to happen, but data, you know, when you're working with people with a journalism background, they want, they don't believe anybody. They're skeptics for a reason because they're supposed to, they're supposed to figure out what the actual truth is. So let's run a test and, uh, and come back to it. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle and then we make adjustments accordingly because the time, the, the thing to think about is the math of it is the time is no different. Typically you're getting paid by, well, at least as far as I'm, I'm aware, people are getting paid by the word, not the pieces a lot of the time. So, or maybe you need to move to that model. So that it becomes less about, well, I really want to do 10 pieces to, okay, I'm happy doing 5,000 words and I'm just going to do it this way. And then if they come back and go, you know what, I really can't hit this. As long as they're being comprehensive, you have to have some flexibility there as well. Um, those are the approaches that I've found successful. Um, right now, we definitely have that going on where it's like, okay, you're going to be writing less, but we know we're going to get a lot out of this. And by the way, it's going to integrate well into these other, um, other plans we have. Um, not easy, not always 100%, but good. So, so I guess my some of my questions go into just content in general, right? Like what we talked a lot about words and word counts, but there's way more, maybe not way more, but there's other things of content, right? Like video or images or, you know, infographics and things like that. Um, where do they in the grand scheme of things, right? Like I, I'm a video junkie. I'm on YouTube. I pay for YouTube premium because I hate commercials. Yeah. Even though I'm in advertising, yeah. I use like ad blockers and <laughs> I pay to not get commercials, yeah. um, which is, which is always fun. Um, I always say I'm not in that type of advertising, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, and we know that YouTube is the second largest search engine in, in yeah. existence right now. Uh, so, like, where does, like, things like video, and, and I guess infographics less, or PDFs, or any other types of content out there, like, where do they, where do you see them in the scale of, like, on-page content versus these other types sure. of content outlets? Yeah, so that's one of the things I definitely pay attention to when I'm doing analysis, because I, like, when I hand over a brief or even the full strategy, I have notes in there about exactly that. Um, I'll give you an easy one. 
we obviously, we're talking about ERP all the time. If somebody types in ERP or what is ERP, there's a video carousel that's going to show up. And so I'm going to go back to my content team and say, um, if I were working on the ERP package, I'm going to say, okay, these are the areas where video is showing up. And I really think we need to create that. And then not only do we need to create the video when you create it, I need a teaser that I can use to post natively on social media. I need um, some stills. I need some uh, pull quotes that we're going to create, you know, graphics for. And then also I'm going to point out, you need to embed that video um, in this content because I think like it's the what is ERP piece as an example and it's relevant and hopefully it'll increase, you know, time on page and that'll be great. And then, you know, paying attention to the YouTube algorithm, I'm going to say the first 24 to 48 hours is huge. So I need you to have a promotion that's scheduled to drop when this thing is published and scheduled in the studio, et cetera. And all of that all the way through is going to be fully thought out unless we don't have the resources to execute against it, in which case maybe it's a phase two operation, but absolutely we create video content and, and podcast content actually. Um, so those are factors that we consider all the time and we're not going to get it for everything we ask for, because again, resources budget, but we're going to decide which are the biggest pieces. And if you're an ERP, um, you know, company, that's certainly going to be, be a factor. So that one's going to going to float to the top in terms of priorities. I think in the past, um, you know, having my limited skill in design, like when infographics were all the rage, I think we all tried to make infographics yeah. for our clients. Um, I don't yeah. see us doing that for like videos and, and things like that, though. Yeah, I, I know there's some out there that have, you know, little they, they're more, I guess, of an agency where they'll have video or audio studios to be able to pull that in yes. there too. I think like Edge of the Web Radio, part of their studio is that they have it for local businesses. If you want to come in and shoot a commercial right. or you want to um, create a podcast, that's part of your marketing campaigns. I think that's that's great. Um, and you're also doing very well for what is ERP because I see you number one and yes. number one. Show, so yes. doing all right? Yes. <laughs> Nothing like We're doing all right so far. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you guys say? Like, all right, so – I we're extending the, the the term content, which is a very broad term to right. multimedia. What do you guys say when, when people say like, I'd love to have a video, but it's too damn expensive to create. Okay. What do you, what do we do next? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so first of all, I probably stopped them there because, and I, and I know this due to the number of strategies I've been involved in at tech target, but there's actually a lot of really well-ranking videos that are just like like you guys, two guys sitting at a podium or on a split screen talking about concepts because especially, and I obviously speaking of technology because this is what I'm, I'm most familiar with as of right now, is there's a lot of concepts where you can actually just do that or do, I mean, look at RAND and the, the Friday sessions, right? Whiteboard Fridays. That, I mean, surely they're, so high, highly produced at this point, but the concept itself is not that hard to, to do simple applications and, and sketch out the things that you're going to cover and then write them on a whiteboard. And actually I see quite a bit of that in our space. So um, provided that everybody's not a stickler and is comfortable with some less produced looking content, 
that's stuff you can do on your own with very minimal production. They're also on the social angle where people, well, we're not going to be at events right now because of, um, because of COVID, but post COVID or pre COVID, there's certainly a lot of areas where you can be doing on the fly video. And at the very least, if it's not an organic boom for you, it could be a social play. Um, and so I think it's, short-sighted to dismiss it out of hand due to cost. I think there are ways around it um, and, and ways to build up to it and maybe to shift some of your, your text-based content resources or reuse your text-based content and apply that in other ways. I think that that's a big miss. I think, um, who is it? Uh, that Russ, Russ does a lot of the remix reuse. And I think that's one of the ways that, you know, you can save costs, but get a lot more out of your content. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask about repurposing content. Um, Video is a great example. I see all the time um, being a uh, a historian and not only, not only that loving the the mob, there are a lot of YouTube uh, (laughs) video creators that are now, doing these very long form interviews with people who were former mobsters or, um, or there, there's one channel in particular, it's called value, valuetainment, um, where it doesn't just interview mob people. It actually started with him just interviewing people from all walks of walks of life or, uh, different types of successful, uh, and some infamous people. But then one of the things he, does in particular, and his name is Patrick uh, Bet David, is uh, he will take his really long videos, which are typically an hour to two hour interviews, and he will share that video and it will get a lot of uh, a lot of views. But then he will repurpose smaller clips and then put those small clips out with headlines that are geared towards um, individual kind of points of emphasis within and you will extend the life of that interview beyond the life of that first video, which is still, by the way, getting a bunch of, uh, a bunch of views, but you're really extending the life cycle. And I'm wondering if there are ways to do that with other types of assets. Yeah. um, So I think, I think, so to the video point, it's funny that you bring it up. Let me address that first because we're actually in the process of that. So one of our, our not um, NetSuite-specific brands that's owned by NetSuite but not called NetSuite is growwire.com, which is a site for entrepreneurs. And we shoot a ton of videos and, and also podcasts. And on our, our docket right now is exactly that. And in the COVID era, it's actually brought it kind of the forefront because if you're sitting and meeting with restaurateurs or fashion um, industry magnets who have moved to like making masks or gowns for uh, first responders and that kind of thing, there are themes that occur across the video and the content where you can do exactly that. You can start splicing those clips and making other pieces of content that are not just that full interview, but they're topic centric. So it's that, it's the pivoting concept or the resilience. Like, how are you, what are you doing now that you can't have, you know, people sitting in your restaurant now you're reusing that. And here's a, here's a reel that is just everybody talking about the adaptability. Um, I think other pieces of content that you can do that with podcasts, all this, you know, 
also the same thing, right? There may not be a video attached to this, but that doesn't mean you can't have YouTube presence with it, um, with the audio and maybe stills or quotes that are on screen, um, whatever makes sense. And then from the text space, you know, you have white papers um, or, or the reverse direction. You're taking multiple pieces out of your package and creating a white paper, a PDF out of that. And it's a gatable asset that you can now, um, you know, get conversion from. You're getting people to fill out a form. Um, the reverse of that, obviously, is taking a white paper and creating multiple articles um, or pieces of content out of it and to your, you know, your yeah. infographic statement maybe those still work for you. And now you're, you're pulling out the statistics and making these infographics that are then, you know, um, uh, cut down into to social size images, et cetera. And it really is just like, what is the most we can get out of this resource? Cause that's the name of the game for everybody in spite of their, their budgets. Right. Yeah, that's what I've, I've seen the move towards that where, the infographic concept is still there, except it's in content because Google can read that. Yes. And and the, right. they break out the graphs with instant share out to your your you know, social media channels because like a lot of people just want that number. Like eighty three percent of the people did this and, and you know, that's a great <laughs> thing to share. And, yeah. and get great way to get uh some you know, drive people driving back to like what else is on this uh you know in this report. So that's great. Exactly. So we like to end our episodes by asking uh, asking our guests a question, and that question is: If you were starting SEO today, what advice would you give? Like, wait, sorry, I take that back. I always mess this up. If someone was starting SEO today, what <laughs> advice would you give them? Because if you were just starting today, you wouldn't have any advice to give to yourself. <laughs> but if, you, if someone new was starting SEO, <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I think um, networking and listening and learning um, are right on the same level with testing. Um, I think one of the things I wish I had done a lot more of earlier on is, uh, is testing. Um, and I was super, I'm kind of introverted, so I was quiet for a long time, too. So networking, I think it's super important making those relationships and learning from other people, keeping a, a breast of sort of what's going on, but then like testing it out because you're, it's, it's not a guarantee that your experience is going to be the same as everybody else's and whatever your brand or the multiple brands you're working with have nuances. And so there's a value in trying things out and learning for yourself. Um, I liken it to when I was a little kid and I was asked my grandmother, what does this word mean? And she'd look at me and go, go read the dictionary. And it's the same thing. You learn by doing the action and you retain a lot more. And then it becomes that innate ability to even know things before you execute um, a lot of the time. But yeah, definitely um, networking, reading and, and testing for sure. Absolutely agree. And uh, Jessica, where can people find you? Yeah, sure. So they can find me on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, on, on Twitter, my, my handle is uh, Gorilla Girl, and you can definitely follow me there. And, and fair warning that I am political, as I stated before. So you'll get a mix of stuff. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't not ask the question, where did Gorilla, and it's not Gorilla like the, the animal, it is Gorilla like 
guerrilla warfare. So like, where did, where did yeah. it come from? Yeah. So, um, Another uh, interesting thing on the history front is um, when I was studying computer science and mathematics, I also was doing a, a little bit of a concentration in Irish history. Um, and I happen to be uh, Irish. My, my mom's grandparents emigrated here actually after the, uh, the Irish rebellion and um, in 1916. And so Irish history is a huge, huge and politics and huge passion of mine. Um, I won't get into all of the mix of it, but that's where it emanates from. And okay. and when I was uh, I was a, a college kid, I actually had a had a zine, and Gorilla Girl was my nom de plume, if you wish. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, yeah I had zines. to had to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you know. <laughs> awesome. Now everybody else knows too. Well, thank you so much for. Uh, for coming on um, and and coming on in quick notice, uh, we we did have a cancellation. Uh, we absolutely wanted to have you as a as a guest, and, and uh, you were going to to lead off and be one of the initial episodes of season three. But surprise, surprise, uh, you <laughs> came on earlier. So thank you for being very flexible with your schedule. And uh, we've gone over on time yet again. We're really bad at that. Uh, so we appreciate <laughs> you staying on and having a really great conversation with us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the invite. This is great. And uh, I was super glad for the the last minute ping. Um, And I love your podcast. So again, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Awesome. Everybody out there have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel. If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.